You know, uh, we're going to be continuing on in our series in the Gospel of John. Um, I know we've been kind of going in and out with, uh, last week was our anniversary Sunday. And, um, and one thing that's so unique about the Gospel of John is the fact that um, there are so many of these I am statements. Um, I know there's like really seven iconic ones, but um, throughout the Gospel of John, there's so many I am statements that um, it's just throughout. Even throughout this passage, there's so many I am statements. And, um, and so uh, we looked at I am the bread of life a couple of weeks ago. And today we're looking at the second statement by Jesus where he declares, I am the light of the world. Um, and I think this is actually a much needed reminder in the midst of uh, everything that has been happening this past week, um, especially as we just celebrated our 12th year anniversary this past Sunday. Um, I definitely um, felt such a heaviness this past Sunday. Like, it was actually really hard for me to even be in a mode of celebrating. Um, but as we kind of move forward, as we look ahead to maybe the 13th year, 14th, maybe 20 years or 24 years, um, you know, uh, I think this message will definitely be encouraging to us in, um, in terms of what we need to even expect and kind of gear up for in the coming years. Um, and it's kind of also another just a funny side note is that um, I know Christmas was a long time ago, um, but uh, uh, I still to this day have our Christmas tree in our living room. And uh, Minna has been giving me a pretty hard time, like, we got to take this down. And I was like, honey... I'm preaching on the light of the world this Sunday. We got to keep up the tree until this Sunday. I got to preach on the light of the world. We got to let the light shine. And so um, it's funny in our apartment as you walk by, our usually our doors are, uh, what do you call it? We have a huge patio door. You can see our Christmas tree lit up. And I was like, I need to let the world know to, to shine Jesus' light. And so, um, <laughs> all right, let's all turn our Bibles uh, again to uh, John chapter 8. Um, Jesus starts off by saying, I am the light of the world. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, this is the only time it's, it's mentioned. And, and after that, it's kind of not so mentioned again in this passage. Um, but uh, the first thing I want to just note is the fact that w- the moment that Jesus says, I am the light of the world, everyone there knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew what he was making a declaration of. And that was, hey, I'm God. And the reason why is because it's the simple words of I am. Uh, for us, it, it, it translates as just I am the light of the world. But if you were to literally translate it in the Greek, it is I am, I am the light of the world. And for everyone there, they know what the I am, I am means because their biggest hero is Moses. And Moses at the burning bush was given uh, that title of God. Tell them I am, I am has sent you. Tell them, that is my name. And so everyone's like, it's like a high alert. Oh, here he goes again. Oh my gosh, like it's, it's so shocking. He just called himself God. And I think the reason why Jesus is doing this is because over and over again, what we see are this, these Pharisees, all these different people, they aren't getting the big picture. Their living God is in front of them. They've been studying scripture. They memorize it. They're highly religious. And yet... They cannot recognize that the living God is right in front of them. The I am. And so Jesus is constantly clarifying who he is. He's constantly making it clear um, and explaining it in different ways. And I think Jesus could have kept going, right? Uh, You know, in the past, we we saw that he said, I am the bread of life. Again, that's like saying, I am God, the bread of life. I think he could have kept making it clear. I am God. You know, 
the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, you know, Yahweh, you, all, you, you guys know, the creator of the heavens and the earth. That's who I am. I am God. And I think that's what he's doing here. He's making a clear indication of who he is, ascribing to himself, I am the Son of God, and I am God. I am the light of the world. He makes it extremely clear to them. Not only that, but he says, I am the light of the world. Not of Jerusalem, not of Israel, not of Bethlehem, wherever, but of the world. Um, you know, this actually echoes, uh, a lot of this passage echoes actually John chapter 1. We've, we've been kind of seeing a lot of these themes. In John chapter 1, verse 4, what we see is, um, says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Or in verse 9 of chapter 1, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. We saw that for, uh, foreshadowing, or even though this was written after you know, all these events happened, what do we see is that Jesus, the true light, was coming into the world. Not just to the Jews, not just to the nation of Israel, to the people. But it's a significant point because what we constantly see in the Gospels and Scripture is there's a shift. There's a shift of moving away from an exclusiveness to the people of God of Israel to now an inclusiveness to all the nations, to the entire world. And that is the Gospel. That is the amazing message of God's grace, is that the gospel is meant to be proclaimed to the world. It's meant to be proclaimed to every single person. This is significant because just because Jesus says he is the light of the world, it doesn't automatically mean that every part of the world then is illuminated. It doesn't mean that every single person is seeing and experiencing the light. And we see that in this passage, right? He's declaring, I am the light of the world. But does that mean that they are actually seeing the light? No, there's a lot of Pharisees that are like, what? Like, blasphemy, I want to kill you, or I want to arrest you. And Jesus then clarifies at the end of this verse, in uh, verse 12, he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, those who actually experience God's light, who are actually experiencing this illumination, are those who believe and follow Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus, he's making it pretty clear then. If you aren't following Jesus, you're walking in darkness. You're still remaining in a dark world. You see, our lives are so much better with Jesus because he illuminates our lives. And with Jesus... The blinders are totally removed from our eyes and we can see things more clearly. We begin to see a whole new perspective. We begin to see that we have true life because of Jesus. Once we have tasted the living water that Jesus only provides, we're satisfied eternally. We only experience his joy. We only experience his peace. We only experience true hope and true love only because of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. It only comes from him. And again, this actually echoes something in John chapter 1. In verse 9 to 13, this is what John writes. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was already in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But 
to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Again, Jesus makes it clear. You follow me, you will no longer be walking in darkness, but you will be experiencing this light of life. See, believing in Jesus is following Jesus, and it is only through Jesus that we can experience life, that we can experience being taken out of darkness. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Christ alone. And it is through Jesus we are adopted into his royal family, and our whole world gets lit up. We begin to see things more clearly because of Christ. And when we believe, we are no longer walking in darkness, but we have the light of life, which is eternal life. Amen. And that is the gospel message. And I think Jesus could essentially just kind of left it right there, just walked away. But every time Jesus says something so profound, so truthful, there's always some tension, right? There's always going to be someone that's like, no, I, I disagree, Jesus. And we've seen that over and over again. I mean, in the passage right before, um, you know, in terms of the timeline, we don't know if that's like the exact fit. Um, in, in terms of even if uh, John was actually the writer, um, I personally don't think he was the, the writer of that, um, of that particular passage in terms of the adulterous woman. But w- we see over and over again that it fits in terms of the timeline of Scripture, in terms of the character of the Pharisees, that they were always so hungry to do what? To try to trap Jesus. They wanted to just, ooh, I, I, I just, oh, I, I would love to stump him. And that's exactly what we see in this next verses. Look at verse 13. Um, 13 says this. The Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. You see, the Pharisees, they, they dreamed about um, you know, trying to capture Jesus, trying to uh, stump him and trying to use his words against him. And you see, the thing about the Pharisees is they dreamed about it so much. That was on their mind so much. Like they really wanted to kill him and arrest him and uh, use any word against him. That they actually were t- listening attentively all the time. They were listening, I, I think, better than like the, the crowds. They were like taking notes like, ooh, I'm going to remember that point. And it's pretty amazing because they remember something that was spoken a couple chapters ago. Remember in John chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus said this. If I bear witness about myself, then my testimony is not true. And so the Pharisee goes, ha, I got you. Look, you're declaring you're the light of the world. Who said that? Oh, you said that. Look, you're bearing witness about yourself. Gotcha. See? You said, if I bear witness about myself, then, then my witness, my testimony is not true. Ah, we got you. Yes. And they're like celebrating. Like, oh, woo. Right. They're so happy. And so how does Jesus respond? You know, Jesus, I think, could have responded in so many different ways. Um, I think Jesus could have, first of all, just said this. Hey, do you remember my friend, John the Baptist? You remember that guy? Going out, you know, looking all crazy. Do you know who he was talking about? We know who he was talking about because actually in John chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, again, there's a lot of echoing going on. What do we see? We see that he was actually testifying about Jesus. And it makes it pretty clear that this actually lines up with this. 
That he's not just only testifying about Jesus, the coming Messiah. But what does it say? It says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, by the way, but he came to bear witness about the light. And I think Jesus could have just said this, even though it wasn't written down yet. This is obviously written um, in kind of in hindsight and whatnot. But he could have been like, remember John the Baptist? And I think he could have stumped him there. But you know what Jesus brings? He brings actually so much greater. He brings a, a greater, a bigger punch to the argument. What he begins to say is, no, actually, everything that I'm going about, uh, about to tell you is actually in line with the fact that I am the light of the world. And so what does he use as his argument? Follow with me in verse 14. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Why? Because for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you don't know where I'm coming from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And, okay, that's very key because if he just left it there, they're like, ah, see, you bore witness about yourself. Contradicting. But he says, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. He brings this extra ammo to the fight of saying, Okay, not only does John the Baptist, he was testifying and witnessing about me, the true light coming into the world. Not only am I testifying and being a witness about myself, I have a greater witness that you all should be adoring, that you are all in, should be in love with, that you are studying. That is my Father, our Heavenly Father. Takes it a complete step further. God the Father is his witness. And so, I, um, you know, as I was kind of wrestling with this passage, the question I had to ask was, what the heck does this have to do with the light of the world? You know, like, oh, Jesus speaks about being the light of the world, and then after this, you don't really see him talking about the light of the world. It's not really mentioned again. And so, what's this have to do with the light of the world? It, it almost sounds like um, the subject seems to change here, right? So, did Jesus contradict himself? Or was he moving away from talking about the light of the world? Was he stumped by them? No, I don't think he was. Actually, everything that Jesus is mentioning at this point is pointing to the fact that he truly is the light of the world. It is supporting um, as an evidence of the fact that he is the light of the world. Why? Because he is going now to the source, which is God. God the Father. And he's saying everything comes from him. He's the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Verse 16, it says, It is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. Verse 18, I am the one who bears witness, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. From this point on, he's just constantly illustrating this sharp contrast between like light and darkness, and he's kind of making it clear to them. And, he, and he's about to make it even more clear. Hey, you guys are completely filled with darkness, and I am the light of the world, and you don't know me. You don't even know the Father, and you're going to be dead, or you are dead in your sins. And Jesus makes their judgment so clear. 
verses 19 to 20, we see Jesus tells them plainly, you neither know me nor my father. This implication that Jesus says is so offensive to them. You got to understand, they've been studying their entire lives. They've memorized scripture. They've memorized God's word. They are proclaiming, they love God so much. And Jesus is basically telling them, you actually don't know God at all. You're not a believer. And you know what that makes you? A sinner that's condemned. And so for them, it's like, how dare you? It's, it's the biggest slap in the face. It's the biggest disrespect that they feel like anyone could say to them. No, no, no. I am a Pharisee. I am like a, a high priest. I, I am like, I, I've studied scripture. Who are you to tell me these things? I know the word of God. And Jesus is basically telling them, no, you don't know God at all. Because if you truly knew the Father, then you would know the Son. And if you knew the Son, then you would know the Father. You see, you cannot have one without the other. It comes together. And he's basically telling them, even though you've been so religious, even though you've memorized Scripture, you are condemned. So much so that in verse 20, we know that they are so offended that what do they want to do? They want to arrest Jesus again. I mean, over and over again in Scripture, they're like, oh, I want to arrest him. But you know what's so amazing? They couldn't do anything about it. Look at what it says in verse 20. Those words he spoke in the uh, treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. You see, it's, it's, their hearts are writhing in anger. Oh, let's arrest him, but no one's making a move. Something's holding them back. That's the sovereignty of God. It's not his time. So they cannot supersede God's timing. They couldn't supersede God's authority because God said no. There's nothing that they could do. Even if they wanted to act out of their own flesh, God said no. My time is not yet come. And so what does Jesus do in verse 21? He says in some pretty scary words. He takes it even a step further. He says, you will die in your sin. Some pretty dark words. He's essentially telling them, right? I am the light of the world. The light has come into the darkness. But you're walking in darkness. You don't know who God is. And you're going to die in your sins. Meaning what? There's one place left for you if you don't follow me. And that place is hell. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, you know how Jesus describes hell? He describes hell as the outer darkness. Hell is a place that is so dark because Christ is not. His presence is not there. It is the darkest place you can ever imagine. And he's telling them, that will be your fate if you don't follow me. That's where you're heading towards because you are not following me. The light of the world. You will die in your sins. And so, you know, there, there's this constant, uh, you know, dialogue and um, and Jesus' response to them is basically this. You know, you're from the world, and I'm not from the world. You're from below, I'm from above. But you know what's so amazing about this whole dialogue of kind of making this sharp distinction of I am the light, you're darkness, you're a sinner, you know, I, I'm righteous, you know, come to me and, you know, have eternal life and whatnot. Jesus still offers them hope. In the midst of knowing that they want to kill him, in the midst of knowing that they have such a, 
<coughs> like a deceitful heart. Look at verse 24. In the midst of all of their conversations, Jesus still offers hope to them. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It doesn't sugarcoat the gospel. Makes it clear. But it gives them a way out. Gives them a message of hope. Hey, you will die unless you believe in me. Okay? If you truly believe in me, then you will not die. You will be removed out of darkness and you will walk in the light. And you will have life, eternal life. But until then, yes, you will die in your sins. Eternally, you experience eternal death. And this is the message of hope that still Jesus is speaking to us today. Is that until we breathe our last breath, Jesus is giving us a way out. Saying, if you believe in me, you will not die in your sins, but you will have eternal life. I think the gospel message has always been clear throughout scripture. It's either believe in Jesus and be eternally saved, have eternal life, or you can reject Jesus and you will die eternally. And so here's the verdict. Jesus concludes with this in verse 28 to 30. He says this. So Jesus says, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sends me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. You know, it's so crazy because, right, we just saw Jesus give, gave them a way out. He gave them a message of hope. But he also knows who he's talking to. These are the people. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, he knows exactly what these people will do to him eventually. These are the people who are going to kill him. They will kill him. Right? They are going to arrest him. They're going to beat him. They're going to com- make a complete mockery of him. And yet we saw God's grace of wanting to still share the message of the gospel with them. There's a way out, though. But it's so amazing, right? He's, he's foreshadowing his death by the hands of the Pharisees. But he says this, what's so amazing is that um, when it happens, right, it's not an if when it happens, it's when, when you kill me, when you raise me up on the cross and I die, he says, then you will know that I am he. And when it says I am, that's again another I am statement. Uh, in the Greek is ego I, uh, eimi, which is I am, I am basically. So then you will know that I am the I am, okay? You're going to know that I am God and that I do nothing on my own and I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. He's, he who sent, is, uh, sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And so does this mean that as Jesus um, says that, oh, like on, on the day of my death, then um, everyone's going to now just look at him and suddenly believe? No, I, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think he's really making it clear. You will really know that I am God and that this will be a testament that everything I just mentioned right now, that I'm not just testifying about myself, but you're going to see that truly I've submitted to the Father and that the Father has truly uh, been testifying on my behalf as well. And it will be so clear. You're going to know in your heart, in your gut, that I truly am God. 
Your heart might not acknowledge it. You might not confess it with your lips. But you're going to know. And it's amazing because we know for a fact that they probably did know. Why? Think about this. We know that Jesus obeyed God until death. The Father until death. He didn't resist authorities. He didn't fight against being crucified uh, because he was obeying the Father. He even prayed that if God would just simply take away this cup of death from him. But he says, you know what? Not my will, but your will be done. Not only that, but even on the cross, Jesus makes it really clear. He even prays for his accusers as they're dividing up his clothes. What does he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Makes it clear. Hey, I'm submitting still to the Father, and the Father's testifying on my behalf. And not in that, but until when Jesus cried out his last breath, and saying, it is finished, what happens? Man, it's, it's a scary scene. It was completely dark. It's not even evening. It's noon till about 3 p.m. The ground begins to shake. And the curtain temple, uh, the curtain in the temple, it tears. There's like uh, people raising from the dead. It's a scary sight. I mean, the centurion even says, surely this is the son of God. And Jesus is foreshadowing this of saying, oh, you will know that I am the light of the world. Oh, you will know. Oh, but you might not confess it, but you're going to know that this is undeniable that I am God. That you're going to line up all these things. Like, oh, this is not just a coincidence of an earthquake. Oh, wow. Like, you just saw a relative come back to life. Oh, oh my gosh. The temple that you love so much. Oh, my gosh. It shattered. It's undeniable. The presence of God. And he makes that extremely clear. You see, they knew that Jesus was God. And for many of them, they would remain stubborn in denying him. And I think it's so ironic that Jesus, I think Jesus is so clever that he's using the very words of their hero, right? The hero is Moses, right? They, they love Moses. They love Abraham. They love all the heroes of their faith, of the Old Testament. And he's using the very words that God uses, uh, tells uh, Moses to tell who? Pharaoh. Pharaoh whose heart is so hardened. And I think it's so ironic that as Jesus is using the words of Moses, I am, I am, or God, essentially using the title of God. And as Pharaoh was hardened in his heart, these Pharisees too were just like Pharaoh. Their hearts were hardened. They were not responding to the actual I am, I am in front of them. You know, Jesus has done many miracles. Moses, you know, Performed many signs, wonders, and whatnot. Pharaoh's heart wasn't budging. You know, G- Jesus could have done so many things. He could have just like floated and levitated. Like, hey, what else you want to see? Like, you want me to chop off my arm and just continue living? Like, like, really, I think he could have done so many things. Like, you tell me wh- wh- what's it going to take to convince you. But what do we see? Their hearts are hardened. But you know what's so encouraging about this story? As Jesus is proclaiming this message there is a crowd forming, right? We, we know that there's constantly people forming, listening to Jesus' words. But so amazing, because in verse 30, what does it say? It ends with this encouraging news. As he was saying these things, many, many people believed in him. 
That's so amazing. You see, that is the power of the gospel. Because although maybe these Pharisees weren't believing, maybe a lot of them were just like, oh, I want to kill you. There were still people out there that said, you know what? Everything Jesus is saying is so true. I, I, I see his words, and this is the truth. And I want this eternal life that Christ is offering to me. You see, there's hope that comes through the gospel. There's hope and life that is only found through Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing that happened. You know, for me, I think uh, one of the most joyful things that I can ever hear is hearing what God has done in someone's life. Especially the transformation of them coming to saving faith. There's no greater news that I can experience. Especially uh, being a youth pastor, that is one of my greatest joys. Right? Just seeing students transform. And, you know, I've been really encouraged uh, lately. Um, I know there's some students, like, uh, for SALT, by the way, we've been kind of, uh, been doing kind of like quiet time training. And uh, one of the things I heard some of the students say is like, man, I didn't know um, reading the Bible could be so fun. Like, those things, it like, oh, like, oh, thank you, Lord. Like, <laughs> I'm not wasting my time. It, it encourages me. It really encourages me. Or, um, like, recently, I, I just heard a student, like, um, share to uh, her mom, like, God, like, I have really, um, trying to not botch her words, but, like, said something along the lines, like, I've I really come to realize my own depravity and my need of God. And she's been discovering her love of scripture. And these things, it's like, oh my gosh, praise God. And Rick, it's not, it's not me, but it's simply the power of the gospel. There is power in God's word. And I think throughout this uh, story, what I constantly see is as Jesus is proclaiming he is the light of the world, the message of the gospel is so simple. Believe in Jesus and have eternal life. Share this message to the entire world, Right? We are also, Jesus also calls us the salt and the light of the world. We're an extension. It's like a tag team as Jesus, you know, ascended to heaven. It's like, hey, now it's your job to be the light of the world. To share this message. Because simply, if they don't believe then, there is this scary fate for those that do not believe. That you, if you don't believe and you reject Jesus, you will die eternally. And there's no coming back from that. There's no second chance. The moment it's your final breath, you cannot stand at, at the throne of God and say, I now believe. I mean, I see, I see you. Oh my gosh, I, I confess. It's too late. No one can escape the judgment and sovereignty of God. Um, you know, it, it's, it's crazy because we don't know uh, the impact of our testimony of what God can do through us. But I think the point is, we've got to then just share the gospel to everyone. You might not be able to, your, your testimony may not change that person, but I, hopefully our hearts then ultimately move, are, are moved to share the gospel message to all people. Um, and so in light of uh, this past week, to be honest, I, I've, I've never felt so heavy. I mean, obviously social media has just been like, I mean, every time I went on Instagram, I mean, my Instagram is always about the NBA, to be honest. Like, if you go on that, like, uh, what do you call that? The search, like, discover button. It's always about the NBA. It's just, you know, all these highlights. But every time I go there, it's some type of Kobe tribute. It's like, you know, it's an NBA player. Or it's like someone's, like, just compilation. It's someone crying. And, man, the whole week, I just felt so, like, oh, it killed me. 
And so in, in light of not only just Kobe Bryant, his daughter, seven others tragically dying, but man, there's the coronavirus going in. You know, like just yesterday I looked at the news, there's over 12,000 confirmed cases of people having coronavirus, but it's taken over 300 people's lives. Man, this past week has been a, a week of death. And then recently we just found through the Koga family of this beautiful 14-year-old girl named Skye who died from a battle of cancer. Man, my heart was filled with so much sadness hearing that news because I saw the video of her worshiping. She's got a beautiful voice. And so in light of all these things, one of the things that I was just reminded of is um, how fragile we are. We have literally no control over our lives. There's no guarantee. And it's something I think we all know, but many of us, we don't, I think, live like that. I'm sure that nobody expected Kobe Bryant to die. And all those young children, um, I'm sure if you asked all these families um, that had a a coronavirus, I don't think they would have said last year, oh, yeah, we're going to lose our family member next year. Nobody expects the death. And I'm just reminded that we don't know. uh, Parents, you don't know if, if your kids will live till. 50, 60, 80. I, I don't know if I will live forever. Or, I, I know I won't live forever. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> our lives will end at one day. I remember I lost a friend at, uh, from college when, when he was 25 to cancer. When he found that he had cancer, in one month his life ended. So sad. I remember seeing him in the hospital right before chemotherapy. We're like, hey, hey we, we, after this, we're going to celebrate. We're going to Dude, I'll treat you out to some, you know, Korean barbecue. That's the last time I saw him. Uh, I, I know we all have stories of like this. Suddenly, we just lost someone in our lives. And for me, as I was even uh, preparing this message, the biggest conviction I had was, man, we've got to be vigilant in sharing the gospel message. I mean, we really need to share this message of hope to everyone in this world. Some of us might be like, you know what, I, uh, it just doesn't feel like a right time with, with my, my sibling, my parents. Things aren't good right now. Well, who knows? I mean, seriously, who knows? Um, who knows if you even have that much time? And uh, my, my heart was just moved to just even be even more vigilant as even a youth pastor, like even though as young as they are, man, like who knows? Like, uh, and so... Um, so yeah, with that in mind, uh, hopefully that may the gospel, uh, message of this gospel message really compel us to go out and share unto the world. And I think it's sometimes it's so um, comfortable for us to just enjoy Christ for ourselves. Enjoy. That's just a CrossFit church. Um, you know, one of the things I, I love that it seems like we're kind of moving into a direction as a whole church is um, we're trying to be more missional. Right? Obviously, we're being involved in missions work this year in Yucatan. Um, but one of the things I, I loved uh, hearing in our um, annual report night, our family meeting, is kind of hearing on ways of, what are some potential ways we could be a, a good witness unto our neighbors here, like into our communities, into um, how can we be as a church right here more missional, not just globally, like 
supporting Yucatan and whatnot and all these different missionaries, but how can we right here in Orange County be really missional? And I, um, you know, in our discussion question, that's like our main question. Like I only have just one and it's just, how can we do that to our neighbors, to our friends, to our families, as a church? How can we reach out to youth students? How can we reach out to college students, young adults, young families? How can we be more missional for God's kingdom? Can we strategically do things? And I pray that as, as we look at this message, that yes, we would want to be the light of the world, that we would want to proclaim this message and be moved knowing that every, day, uh, every person's days are numbered and we don't know that we need to share this message of hope. So um, with that being said, let's just close in prayer. Father, we thank you, God, so much for who you are, the light of the world, who has come into this world, and even though you were rejected, even though the, you were not recognized by the darkness, you still died for us. We thank you that even while we were yet still sinners, that you still um, decided to show us the greatest display of love and the greatest display of your grace upon us by shedding your perfect and precious blood on the cross. Father, we we know your gospel is so clear. We know that it is only through the blood of Christ that we can be saved. It is not by being a good person. It is not through any other religion. It is not through any other person of believing in them. It is only through you, Jesus. And Father, there's so many people in this world that don't know you. There's so many people here around us in this city Um, in our own families, in our schools, in our workplaces, our neighbors, in our neighborhoods and work, that don't know you, that are starving, that are thirsty, that need to experience this living water, that are walking in darkness. And so, Father, for those of us that are walking in the light, I pray that you you may move us into action and being the light of the world. But I also do pray, God, if there's anyone here, Lord, that does not know you, I pray that, God, you would draw them near to you, God. I pray that, Lord, as they're um, them just continue just coming out to this church, um, may, may they hear your gospel. May they believe and may they receive you as their Lord and Savior. And so, God, we do pray for salvation. We do pray, God, for revival, uh, not only just in our cities, in our families, in our schools, but in our nation, in our world. We would love to see... Um, Truly, God, all the nations declaring um, uh, just a worship unto you, God. So, Father, I thank you, God, so much for this time. And continue, Lord, to move us into action. May we as a church really be moved to be missional um, and not just pray about it or just talk about it, but really being moved into action and thinking of ways where we can really be proactive and strategic um, in sharing the gospel until the ends of the earth, God. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray.